It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. And welcome into another installment of J.C. and Morgan. I think it's 191 to be exact. Uh, presented by Blue Delta Jeans. BlueDeltaJeans.com. Use J.C. Sherbert at 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. I'm in uh, Studio C in West Palm Beach. So uh, it's been a lot of sunshine and beach time here the last few days before I head out to Baton Rouge for the uh, LSU spring football game. Uh, we'll talk about that. Some of the other spring games that already took place had North Carolina last week with one Drake May, who might be the number one pick in the draft. Uh, next year, a lot of NFL draft talk already going on as we're approaching that mark. Uh, as you folks know, if you've been listening over the years, this time of year, we don't take it off. And, and I, it's actually one of my favorite times of the year because we, we get more guest heavy because we have more time to actually uh, not just talk about what happened the previous Saturday or look forward to the games on Saturday, but just kind of take a macro look. And we've we were just talking off the air. We've had so many different uh, announcers and sports writers and everybody else that you could think of that covers the sport that we know and love in college football. We haven't had a whole lot of sideline reporters and somebody that I think does it as well as anybody out there uh, has kind of burst on the scene the last, I don't, I try, we'll, try, we'll, we'll pinpoint the exact time, but Chris Budden of ESPN, you've seen her on a, a, a number of, uh, Big-time college football games. You can also hear her on Sirius XM Radio, uh, Channel 84, uh, the SEC channel, one that, that I come on from time to time at 374. She's all over the place, and she's kind enough to uh, carve out some time here today. With that introduction, we say good morning and hello to Chris Button. Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for a very nice introduction. Uh, this is this will be fun. You and I, I think, first worked together the uh, my first time at Duty Noble. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking that it was yeah, it was LSU at Mississippi mm-hmm. State yep. in a baseball series. And you and I had two games together. And back then, our boss for football also was the boss for baseball. And um, I hadn't I was not that familiar with you and you probably weren't that familiar with me. But I some of the people that I worked with at Fox knew you from baseball and covering the Padres. Right. Because you. Yeah. Did you come after Laura Rutledge on that role? I did. Okay. Yeah, small, small world. She had the Padres gig uh, right. the year before I got it, which was kind of the connection. Mm-hmm. She had reached out and said, do you need any, if you need any help, let me know. Yeah. And that spurred into a um, very close friendship now. Yeah. So uh, just just an FYI, in addition to uh, sharing the same alma mater, uh, she and I worked together at Fox mm-hmm. my first year there covering Big 12. She was our sideline reporter, and uh, that, that was Laura McKeemum back then. She yeah. wasn't married yet. And I remember we were at the meetings, and, and then we did our first few games, and I'm like, this girl is going places. <laughs> like She was 20, <laughs> I, I mean, young. And just right away, you could just tell um, uh, was was obviously on a high trajectory, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. And and you as well. I, I mean, you, you come on – what what's, was that 2016 or so? When did you come with on with ESPN? 
Yeah, I was with the Padres and Fox from 2014, uh, 2015. And then the 2016 football season was my first year with ESPN. Okay. All right. So you, like you said, you and I did some baseball together. And then obviously most people will know you from the great football work that you do. Uh, I think we ran into each other again at the Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando because you were doing it on TV and I was doing it on uh, radio. Is that your regular crew with Shusen and Orlovsky? Yes, it has been for the last two years. Okay. Uh, they're a joy. I mean, yeah. the way that Dan sees football is incredible. And Bob and I uh, kind of joke, you know, because we also do Big 12 basketball. He did before he got really busy with hockey. And so we right. would football and basketball season with each other. And we did Saturdays with Dick Vitale. So sometimes we'd have Saturdays and Mondays and we'd spend five days together in the holiday in, uh, in Lawrence. <laughs> so the, you know, the, the important part is that you like your crew because they become family yeah. on the road. I, I, for me, for my money, I mean, that's one of my favorite crews. I, I think Bob is just the pros pro as a play by play guy and Orlovsky and I've I've told him this at the seminar and the little interaction that I've had with him. I I think he has grown by leaps and bounds. I mean, he is so good at yeah. breaking stuff down in a unique way. And and it's you know how it is at ESPN. I mean, it, you're kind of self taught. Like there's not some course you take for 12 weeks to become a good analyst. They take these former players, and you kind of get thrown to the wolves. And it's like you got to learn on your own and. I'm sure he's had some help along the way, but he's turned into just an elite analyst. He's fascinating too. Cause you know, we all have our, our own unique journey into this industry and he was just breaking down film on Twitter. And that's how it started. I think NFL network did a few things with them with good morning football. And then that kind of launched into everything that he does with NFL network and get up. And he's got such a great personality, but he also can break film down in such a unique way that the viewer understands uh, and that's which is really hard to do in today's age of college football because it's so fast. Right. Uh, but he has such a great skill set of being able to teach people throughout a broadcast. And yeah, and he knows timing, which is yeah. uh, whenever I work with new analysts, I always say you might know everything, but if you don't know timing, once that red light goes on, you're really going to struggle. You have to know when your windows are to speak, when not to speak. Yeah. And he he has grasped that. I I I love watching you guys and listening to you guys. Uh, Hopefully that crew will stay together. I think that's that's an A-list crew for sure. Uh, you mentioned the word journey. Let's talk about your journey for a minute, okay? You you go to Mizzou. I'm guessing that's when they were in the Big 12, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then uh, I remember you were covering Tennessee in Knoxville. Mm -hmm. In fact, we might have crossed paths at some point uh, at that point. But just kind of take us from point A to, to point B where you wound up at ESPN uh, just kind of that journey to get there. You already mentioned the baseball work, but some of the yeah. other work as well. So Cliff Notes version, always knew I wanted to be a reporter, thought I wanted to be a news reporter. My godfather growing up was a main anchor at ABC in Dallas. And mm -hmm. so went to Mizzou to do that. There weren't at that time very many women in sports, so I didn't even really consider it a possibility until about my junior year. And so you can kind of take whichever turn you want to at the broadcast school at, at uh, University of Missouri. Did that. Uh, took a while to get my first job, uh, but my first one was working at a triopoly in Charlottesville, Virginia. I was there almost two years and then got the job at uh, WBIR in Knoxville on a random, this is my advice to people, just always knock on doors. 
and be annoying because I had sent a tape and I had an agent at the time who sent a tape to the news director, never heard back, never got a yes or a no or anything. And so I was like, you know what? It's a six hour drive to Knoxville. I'm just going to go and say that I happened to be visiting a friend, which was a complete lie. Knocked <laughs> on the door. Turns out he never saw my tape. Uh, and so he put it in and I was hired that day. And wow. yeah, so and then was lucky enough to be in Knoxville for six years, covered Pat Summit and Philip Fulmer's final year in the year of Derek, the years of Derek Dooley and <laughs> uh, the Lane Kiffin debacle and Bruce Pearl and have just. It was a master class of how to cover hirings and firings. Holy smokes. You were there basically for the fiasco era in Knoxville. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the decade of dysfunction, I think, that they have named it over there. Yes. So I came in right at a high. The day I started was when uh, women's basketball had won their last national championship, and Bruce Pearl arrives back on a bus from Memphis because they just beat the Tigers and they're now number one in the country. And then after right. that, it was just a complete nosedive. Uh, all right. The, 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 here, here's the one that always, and I think for, for a lot of people, there's some revisionist history. I like Phil Fulmer and I think Phil Fulmer obviously did an outstanding job at Tennessee, but so many people just say, how in the world did they fire him? It was the worst thing ever. They say that based on subsequent terrible hires. If they got it right the first time, and who knows, if Lane Kiffin didn't get a wild hair and leave after one year, maybe they did get it right. But there was a decline. Like, it wasn't like Phil Fulmer was still winning 10 games every year. So there's a no, little bit of they were in the SEC championship the year before. I, you know, so. The year before he got fired. Okay, yeah. But so yeah, then they. 07. Yeah. 07, 07 right. 07. Then, he was fired 08, and they yeah. lost a game to Wyoming where the rumors were already out there that they wanted right. him out. So then they lose that game. So, like. To say that it was a decline, part of it is on the boosters of themselves because they let the rumors get out there that they wanted him out. Right. And then the team had a really tough time. So, yeah, 2008 didn't go according to plan because right. halfway through the season, there were rumors that they wanted him out. Right. Yeah, it's cr- right. crazy about that season, guys, is it was 08 and Cutcliffe had left because they had him yeah. like 06, 07, they kind of bounced back. They had a bad year in 05. Bounced back when Cutcliffe came back for those two years. He leaves to take Duke. And they hired a guy named Dave Clawson, who's now a pretty good head coach at Wake Forest, as their OC. And it was just a disaster. It didn't work. Uh, They they called it the claw fence. You know, it was that bad. Yeah. And Uh, a lot of the athletes, when you talk to them, said it was so above their head of what they had done before that they had a really hard time grasping it. And it wasn't the right fit. And that was also what led to. Uh, you know, the end of the era for Philip Fulmer. Yeah, and Dave, Dave Clawson probably could have gotten the Tennessee job uh, last time it was open had he pushed for it, I think. So, uh, you know, I, it's just kind of weird how sometimes somebody's a scapegoat, somebody, and then they, they turn out okay, and then everybody's okay uh, Timing. with that. Uh, who, who, more interesting in a press conference, would it would it be Derek Dooley or, or Lane Kiffin? Oh, Derek Dooley. I I I love him. I absolutely (laughs) adore him. And and not everyone in the media did, but I'll tell you what, he's incredibly smart and he knew when he was talking to a TV person. And so not to my own form, but like we had a really good relationship. So a lot of the funny quotes about like the, you know, battle of Normandy and the Germans are coming, like that was off a question that I asked because he knew that that was a TV person and that plays really well on TV. Uh, so I thoroughly enjoy him. Um, and, and even the stops that I've seen him since, 
Lane Kiffin is, is, it's interesting because his personality is so different on Twitter than what he's actually like in real person. Mm-hmm. He's actually very kind of quiet, not showboaty. It's very different um, than, than to compare the two with Derek Dooley. And, and what you get on Twitter is not Lane Kiffin behind closed doors. And, and I, I think the Lane Kiffin of today versus, I mean, I've, I'm sure you've heard, as I've heard a number of stories, his time at Alabama, there was still a little uh, little wildness, I guess you could say, in Lane. Lane is a different person today. Yeah, he was, and he was a different person than he was in 2008, 2009 when he got yeah. that job at Tennessee. You know, he was thrust into the spotlight, and his dad mm-hmm. was still on the staff. And, you know, married with kids and a, and a baby along the way, and – so, and, you know, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with those sunglasses, like, oh, yeah. the, you know, handsome Lane Kiffin look. And I just think that it was a lot at a very young age for him mm-hmm. to be now at this huge high profile job. And then after a year, like you get the dream job, what was he supposed to do? And, you know, it, it, it felt at the time very leave in the middle of the night. But USC comes calling. You're from L.A. Like what? What other option you gonna say no to that? Oh, no, that? I don't. Yeah, I don't think anybody blames him <clears throat> for taking it. It's hard not to just think about what could have been had yeah. he stayed. Yeah. I mean, I I have no doubt that even at I, I think Lane would tell you he'd be the first to tell you he's a better coach today than he was ten years ago. Who wouldn't be? But I think he would tell you that had he stayed, um, they would have achieved a certain level of success. I think they were seven and six in his one year. It certainly would have been a different story uh, to tell had that happened. But, you know, again, timing, uh, opportunities, you just don't know how things are going to go. I don't want to completely gloss over the Fulmer thing. I want to ask one more question on that, and then we'll move on. Just take me through, like, as we were all talking about, there were were rumblings going on. There were a lot of people for various reasons that were thinking, okay, it's time. Phil's had his time, but we need to to go on to the next coach if we're going to – uh, sustain this level of you know when when Phil had it going they're winning 10 games a year they're competing with with Florida for the SEC East every year uh but you're in the newsroom or you're at home or wherever you are when you get the 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 phone call hey they've made the move he's out like take me through that whole scenario yeah I don't even remember that specific you know when we started to hear rumblings I believe it was after the Wyoming game that it that sealed his fate Cause I don't remember there being a press conference. I do. Rem- Cause he finished the season mm-hmm. already knowing that he was going to be out. And I do remember the final game like vividly because they carry him out. Right. And I had also become very close with his wife and kids because remember at the time I'm 24. Mm-hmm. So I'm also right around the age of his kids. Right. And so we had all become very close. And so that, that was honestly, one of the toughest things that I've covered outside Pat Summit, because he was kind of like a father figure in my, and it was a little bit like watching your dad, like get fired from his dream job. Um, and to sit there in that last press conference after the final game and sitting close to his wife and his kids and what this school has meant, that, that was a tough thing to cover. Yeah, I, I can imagine so. Because nobody disliked Phil. 
Like that's the thing. Yeah, so there are some people that did. Really, on a personal, on a personal level. I mean, because you had the majors, you know, him versus well, John okay. majors, and, the, yeah. and there's a backstory there. So I mean, it, you kind of pick sides. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's like the whole uh, Pat Dye, Terry Bowden. There, there was always a little something there as well. But I always considered on the outside, Phil yeah. was a very likable guy. I, most of the people in the media didn't have an issue with Phil. Mm-hmm. He was, he was good with everybody in that regard and and yeah it was still for a lot of people it was just still stunning that they would cut not to mention it's his alma mater where he played it was just a holy smokes they just canned phil fulmer after all he did and then for years and years when it wasn't working it's like was that the biggest mistake we ever made uh at tennessee and obviously now it looks like they're on the way back up uh but that's an interesting chapter you covered a lot during that time that that's a reality show is basically what you were you were covering at that time um what about your crew now you you mentioned big 12 basketball but you're you got for football you're all over right you could do an game one week all over basketball my saturdays are all over because i work with dick vitale um and then mondays is big 12 big Monday. Yeah, we could do a whole segment on Vitel. I've only had a chance to work with him once, but he is the best human being that I've yes. ever been around this business. He is the real deal when it comes to that. But what about you know favorite places to to work games when you're roaming the sidelines? You get to see it all. You guys do some of the the best games on the board, some of the best venues on the board. In in Chris Button's world, like what's what's your top three list of okay when you see that grid come out? Thankfully, <laughs> we're going here as opposed to somewhere else. Yeah, football. Uh, I really do always love going back to Knoxville. There's something like with the goosebumps of watching them run out of the tee that never gets old to me. And um, my husband also played tennis at Tennessee, so we, there's a there's a big love going to Baton Rouge. I still have never done a night game there, so that would be uh, one of the cappers to do a night game yeah. at Death Valley. We don't ever go there because my crew mainly does early games. I freaking love Washington. It's one of the best views. I love Oregon. Uh, when I was with Fox, I got a chance to do a lot more. Um, Oregon, one of the loudest places you'll ever do a game uh, in, in Washington. In the same way of, of Tennessee, the way that it you can sailgate and roll up on a boat and park and dock and then go to the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's so many of them. If we were to go to basketball, and I I feel like I get my diploma taken away every time I say this. There's <laughs> well, I know nothing, where you're going. There's nothing like Fog Allen. Yeah. There's just it, <laughs> yeah. is, it is unbelievable. Yeah, I've only been there once, and it's it's it is it's unmatched. Yeah, it's, it's unmatched like- in any sport, honestly. Yeah. Because in football, it's so open. So sound, except for a few stadiums that have overhangs, you know, there's there's only so loud it can get. In basketball, like in Fog Allen, you have students on both sides. Mm-hmm. And there's not fake noise that they pump in. Mm-hmm. It is just loud. And when at the beginning, when they do the rock, cha, jayhawk, it is so creepy. It is. is. Oh, it is. But it is awesome. Um, We we were talking about, so we've had Tom Luganbill, Cole Kublik, and they kind of, there's been this transformation for some sideline reporting as kind of a field analyst, which is almost like Mm -hmm. having a second uh, analyst on the field. When you, when you look at 
your role and as i mentioned like again you i think you nail it i think it's just the right amount of this that and the other and it's it's not I think sometimes sideline reporters feel like they have to inject more than they really do. Um, but everything you have is just, it's relevant and it's not superfluous and it's just, it's just good. Um, when you see the the way that that role is transformed, you know, now every, just about every college football crew has someone on the sideline. It used to be, there was only a few. I mean, I, when I first started doing games on television, it was like a luxury to have a sideline reporter, but usually they were not going to put that in the budget. Now, every game, I can't remember the last time that we didn't have one. So where do you see that role headed? Are you happy to see how it's kind of transformed over the years? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there are some networks that have cut back and don't use sideline reporters on everything. And you notice You notice when things go wrong Mm. because nowadays people don't give you injury updates. They don't. Right. So if you need to know why Josh Schmo quarterback, hey, didn't start the game and you're in a booth and you have no access to be able to go down there, to be able to go into a locker room, you might be able to text an SID, but if they don't want to tell you, you're hamstrung to being in that booth and you don't have eyes and ears on the field. And to me, that's where the role has changed. It was, and it's different for every sport, but primarily for football and why it's needed so much is the amount of injuries and the things you hear and see down there from the coaches. I used to, every game, come in with a laundry list of 20 fluffy featurey stories on every player, and 1% of that makes the broadcast. And so now... Honestly, and why the role is also so different from Luganville's job is because his eyes are primarily on the field. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, my eyes are on the bench and the conversations, um, especially with the lack of injury updates, because I want to see a guy before he goes in the tent. Or a lot of times you'll notice a guy gets injured, he'll go out, and then the play that the producer thinks he got injured on, he actually was injured two series beforehand. And if you're really paying attention, then you can pinpoint, no, 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 we need to go back to a series on that third and two. And that's where I saw him come off the field holding his left rib. Um, So to me, that's where it's evolved. Uh, Being able to, you know, and Dan and Bob will just say, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so. Can you go check on him? Uh, Here's what I want to know from coach coming out of halftime. And so to me, that's where the role has evolved. And it's become more conversational with the guys in the booth. Bob might have a great story. I talked to a player on a Wednesday can add here on, you know, either something that's featurey or something that he learned from last game or a conversation. So it's a mix of being the eyes and the ears for the booth and also having access to the players during the week, because you guys for play by play, like you have your own focus of what you have to do. Mm -hmm. The analyst does his, I have more time to be able to spend one-on-one with the players and to be able to get their sides of the story. Don't you feel like two coaches now, sports information directors, they get it. Like I remember years ago when I first started out and we had sideline reporters, the battle for access, everybody was so guarded. There's paranoia. We all know coaches have that's part of their DNA. Um, and there were times where our sideline reporters couldn't do a great job because they were, the school was not going to allow them to do a great job. Has that improved at all? I know the injury thing is always a very sensitive issue, but as a whole, do you feel like 
they're paving the way for you to do your job better? I do. I mean, I think that there are some still that are afraid of their head coaches and some benches you can't be behind still. Uh, We're working towards that access. I there are some that are great. Like I think of Claude at Georgia. He totally understands the the role. He understands why we need an interview. Also, the more you're around these coaches, the more relationship you have. I mean, I think of basketball at the time. I don't even need to go to the SID because I'm a, I, I had 15 Kansas games and I can just go up and ask Bill self, whatever I need. Um, football is a little bit harder to build those relationships because you might not see a team for another three years. But I also really hope that they take a look at the XFL because I've done a few games here or there. And the access that you get is unbelievable, but it's even small things. So we had a fake punt in our XFL game last Saturday and it was great. Interviewed the punter, the guy, he like heaved it 50 yards down the field. It was an incredible play. Well, the, their SID or media relations guy comes up to me later. He's like, by the way, that play call is called the Blandino because they sent the play to Dean Blandino, the rules expert, to mm-hmm. make sure that it was legal because you had two guys in motion. So they named it the Blandino. So then I do that report. We bring on Dean Blandino. And it's something small nugget like that. That's a great story that I wish SIDs thought, hey, like this is how you take what was a great play, maybe a great interview, to now something that's incredibly memorable. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they get a look at that kind of an access uh, you know, people don't like the names of play calls out there for whatever, but no one's, they're not using that the rest of the season. No, just realize like, and that's the other thing. Like we're, we're a talk show basically for three hours up there. The more access you give, the more time you give, the more we can tell your stories versus the other team. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I hope that more and more people, the, the gatekeepers, so to speak, get that and understand everybody that is on a, involved in a telecast they're not out to get you i mean it's only going to help promote your program it's it can be a three and a half hour infomercial if you let it be i mean really can in terms of how much are you going to let out there um wrapping things up with chris budden i I mentioned at the top in addition to your television work you do a lot of radio work now with sirius xm that's more the opinion format i know you have opinions because i've i've listened i know you uh, are not afraid to get in there and, and give your takes on a, a number of things. So we're in this revolutionary time in college football, right? So many things are changing. It, it's evolving one way or another, uh, whether you like it or not. It just it just is. Uh, I know you probably like me and, and others in our profession have had coaches just they'll go off on a 30-minute diatribe if you let them on everything that's bad about the changes. What do you like about what's happening and changing in the world of college football. What do you not like? Things I do. I like, I'm a big proponent of NIL. Do I necessarily like the collectives? No, but you look at what it's done for female athletes. The To me, that is where you look at and you go, this was the point of this, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, Jen Schroeder, who now has her own gear and, and was a fantastic catcher at UCLA. She couldn't hold her own softball clinic. Because it had her name on it. And now, and now she took that and ran with it and has her own brand. And now as a college athlete, you can still do that. Angel Reese grows 2 million followers and will make exponentially more on that than she'll ever make in the WNBA. Mm -hmm. So to me, that was the point of it. 
I don't necessarily like the collectives and poaching. And I know that like, it's, you think about it from a college coach's perspective or assistant coaches, like they're kind of going and getting players from people who are their friends and colleagues in the industry. So, you know, I, part of me thinks, you know, the players should be able to go wherever they want. I like the one-time transfer and hopefully they'll enforce it instead of just bouncing everywhere. Um, I do think that the athletes would get paid. My, my biggest beef with this is the realignment. We are headed in a direction where football is eventually going to separate. And whether we see an AFC, NFC, Big Ten, SEC, it's headed in that direction. In the meantime, we've ruined all the other sports with these realignments. You, UCLA softball is now going to go play in Michigan in February. Yeah, All these other sports that have these rivalries that meant something – all because of football. And then football is going to be on its own eventually anyways. So mm-hmm. I kind of like, let's just, just just do it. Just put football on its own so that the rest of the sports that are now going to have to spend, you know, ridiculous amounts of money, not on a charter. They're going to sit middle row on an American flight halfway across the country, spend three days there, come back for two days, go back is unfair to those athletes if this thing's just going to end with football as a, its own division anyways. Uh, well said. Well said on all on all accounts. What's next for you? Uh, I am going to the draft for SiriusXM oh, Radio. Nice. Yeah, uh, we'll do that for Channel 84 on their college channel. Uh, and then it's uh, got the email about get ready to go to Hoover for SEC yeah. Baseball Tournament. I'll do studio stuff for softball regionals. Uh, we introduced the last couple of years, a great show for regionals for softball and baseball in softball. It's called seven innings live and in baseball. It's called squeeze play. Mm-hmm. And it is one of my favorite things that we do. It is yeah. red zone for college baseball. Yep. So if you're not in on one team and want to watch one regional, uh, it's myself, Chris Burke uh, and Mike uh, Rooney. And we just sit there for 12 the hours. Yeah, yeah, it's just watching baseball going from screen to screen. I'm always the one that's at one of those sites calling games, but I used to tweet out as they were uh, doing that. And that that launched years ago, and it was one of the best things we ever. We called it something else back then, bases loaded. Bases or something. loaded, yeah. Uh, but I said, you know, the the greatest inventions, the the wheel, fire, the microchip, and uh, and bases loaded are now you know, under a different name. And they always got a kick out of that because it really is like if it's, it's the red zone for college baseball and softball and for those sports that get uh, maybe lost in the, in the shuffle a little bit during this time of year, they get to really show off and and get a flex moment for them. Uh, By the way. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll end on this. Since you said the draft, let's say we have now, uh, you just got the phone call. Chris Budden is the new general manager, the Carolina Panthers. And you have the number one pick. Who is Chris Budden selecting? You've seen some of these guys. You've worked young. some Same of these guys. Bryce yeah. Young. CJ Stroud made a lot of money in that semifinal, but yeah. Bryce Young, uh, what you've seen from him the last couple of years. And I'm really glad that Anthony Richardson came on the scene so we could debate where Anthony Richardson's going to go. And we're not sitting here talking about Bryce Young's height. Like that's become yeah. a no factor finally. And so yeah. he's the one pick. Just everything, uh, his arm, his escapability, the ability to. Might as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's where I think they're going too. I, I, I don't care if he weighs 185 pounds or 192 pounds. If he's five eleven, if he's five ten and three quarter, I don't care. I, I saw enough to see what he can do. Chris, we've seen enough of what you can do over the years. You do outstanding work. Really, thank you for taking out the time and 
I hope that uh, I'll see you down the road. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. You got it. Thank you, Chris. Thanks again to uh, Chris Budden of ESPN and Sirius XM Radio for joining us. Really good stuff. Again, I think we've been very fortunate. We've had uh, so many people that I don't just enjoy talking to uh, on this podcast, JC, but people that I really respect for the job that they do. And um, certainly Chris would fall in line with that. So appreciate uh, her time. And I, and I, and I like the fact that she kind of spelled out, you know, where that role is going. I, I realize there's a lot of people that in, in general are just kind of critical of sideline reporters. I've had them kind of show me some of the tweets that they get and, you know, like what, what kind of question is that? And none of the, mm. that is not an easy job to do. It really isn't. I did it. It's yeah, that's year. right. Burns high school. There you and, go. Oh, it sucked. It was, uh, <laughs> I, I'll never do it again. Number one, cause you know, you're, it's high school football. Number two, one of my really good friends from high school, my high school quarterback, it threw me the only touchdown I ever caught in my life. Uh, Brian Lane was the head coach at Burns that year. Uh, Burns, for, for those that don't know, it's a powerhouse in the state of South Carolina or whatever, but they had a bad year and went three and eight and lost to Broome High School and everybody else under the sun. And he got fired. And it those last few games of the season, man, having to interview him after they lost and, lo- and the losses kept piling up, that was tough. That that was that was brutal. So there are personal reasons why I didn't like it, but uh, it wasn't really my bag of tea. I think uh, if I could ever do color analyst or even play by play for a high school, the high school level, it's something I would consider. But no, no more sideline for me. No more. Sideline. Well, and I mean that's like the thing is that that job very often. Like, so when we do a game for TV, we come in on Friday, like, you know, I'm, I mentioned I'm doing the LSU spring game. So we're going to Aaron Murray and I will talk to the coaches on Friday, some players, some coordinators. And um, and they're generally in a good mood and they're generally um, want to talk to us. You know, they they look at it as this is an opportunity to for exposure. Some coaches are better than others. When you're talking to a coach on the sideline in the middle of the action, you get a you get a common vibe that I don't want to talk to you right now, but I have to, so here I am. That is the most difficult job for anybody in broadcasting when it when you run into that, when you've got to stick that microphone out and ask a question, and the person that you're asking is looking at you like, I really don't I've got more important things to do. And I don't want to give you much information. And I really don't like having to do this. And you see that time and time again. Um, that's tough. You've got to have thick, thick skin because it's rare that that coach is going to like pat you on the back. It's ah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. That's, I, I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk about this before I go into the locker room. Um, anyway, I just I I, I have uh, respect in that regard. And there's some that that do, that do it way better than uh, than others for certain. I did it like once. When I started doing uh, some national radio, I did a game, I think it was for Gino Toretta's outfit, which I don't even know if they're still around. It was called Touchdown Radio, and uh, I did sideline. There was a game at NC State, and Tom O'Brien was the coach. And Tom O'Brien is like a former Marine. like He, mm. he is a no BS guy. And every time I asked Tom O'Brien a question – um. He, you could just tell, like, he didn't want to talk to me. And I'm like, you know, man, I'm just doing my job. Like, I, 
I, I don't necessarily want to talk to you either because you're not a great interview. You're not an exciting guy. He doesn't give you great stuff. He's a, he's a good coach. He's a good coach. Although, um, how you let Russell Wilson go and decide he's not, he should be playing, playing baseball instead of quarterback, that might be a questionable move by one Tom O'Brien. But, uh, you know, mm. nevertheless, but he was just, you know, serious as cancer and he didn't, he didn't have time for, uh, for young reporter guy. So it's, it's well, anyway, it's a, uh, it's a tough gig. All right. Um, you know, Michael Haney, who we have time from on from time to time, the hot Haney five, you know, he has become such a musical star that it's going to be tough to get Mr. Haney services. You know, we got to go through agents and press secretaries. So JC comes up yesterday with five good topics. I like to think of this as the JC hot five as we uh, delve into some things, because we haven't been on in a couple weeks. Spring portal movement, UGA quarterback comp, the Beck era begins, Bama quarterback battle, stupid rules change with officials, continued Pac-12 TV saga, who belongs in the Pac-12. That might be more than five, but we're ready to tackle these things. What have you been – I know you just covered, obviously, on April the 15th, there were a ton of spring games. You covered South Carolina's like you normally do. Um, but in general, what what have you been looking at here the last couple weeks since we signed on the last time? Well, you know, I, I think some of the portal movement's interesting. And, you know, some of like Bear Alexander leaving Georgia was surprising. I was just uh, – yeah. I, who would leave Georgia right now? The kid was going to start, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and they asked Kirby Smart about it. He's like, it's just the way of the world now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of been surpri- surprising. Uh, there's a lot of other uh, portal movement types of situations that that really are are not even guys that are that good. Um, but then there's a lot of team with some teams with some needs heading out of spring. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, if they find their match, so to speak. Um, yeah. And it, it is kind of like online dating uh, in a sense this time around, because there's a lot to sift through. <laughs> there is. When it comes to the portal. Uh, you know, so that, that that's come out. Of course, the, the two quarterback battles you mentioned, Mike, um, you know, uh, Beck, it looks like, like he's the guy at Georgia. I, I, I'll have to say I am somewhat surprised about it because – you know, Carson was a good recruit, highly ranked guy. Uh, but when you looked at the skill set of Vandergriff and Stockton coming out of high school, uh, you know, I kind of maybe thought, well, those guys, you know, they'll they'll probably pass him, but but they haven't. And, and keep in mind too, uh, I, I do think the day is coming where Mike Bobo is going to use uh, some dual threat quarterback. Uh, I think that's been in the works for a while, particularly with Stockton never gets that job, but, but Mike loves his guys that can run the passing game, you know, cause he, I think with his scheme, they're going to get enough out of the run game. Uh, it, it's different than Mockins in the sense that it's more power, which George is accustomed to, to running and perfectly capable of doing. Um, and then you got back with kind of the drop back game, the spread game, all that. So, uh, and Carson Beck looks good. So uh, congratulations to him. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if Kirby's named him yet or not, but we know where that's going. Alabama's fascinating because you have two guys in Ty Simpson and Milrow that are completely different skill sets, plus a new offensive coordinator. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, I was on the radio in Tuscaloosa earlier this morning, and I, I don't know what to think, you know, hmm. and they may end up going with a two-quarterback system, which with two guys that have that kind of opposite skill set. Uh, I've seen that that works out to me more often than maybe the guys that are kind of the same guy. It's just mm-hmm. neither one of them will take the bull by the horns and win the job. I, I sort of like the, you know, if they're two completely different skill sets and you can find a way to make it work, you got to kind of thread the needle, uh, but it can be done. So uh, to me, that's fascinating. Like what's going to happen with Alabama's quarterback situation and then the the new OC coming in as well. I, I think sometimes it takes a guy leaving to truly appreciate how excellent he was. Now, look, Bryce Young won a Heisman Trophy. Uh, he's going to be the number one pick in the draft in all likelihood. I'm sure most Alabama fans realize how good he was. But then there there's always that that undercurrent of, yeah, well, it's Alabama and what quarterback doesn't play well there. I, you might notice a drop-off this year. Georgia fans, Stetson Bennett, the guy that, everybody was just convinced couldn't play at that level wins a couple of natties um oh yeah but he's he's just like rudy now we have a real athlete you might realize what you're missing there there's some of those stories uh, obviously hendon hooker oh well you, you know but it's the system and you're gonna you might miss hendon hooker tennessee fans more than you think um i think it has a chance to be a little bit of a down year in quarterback play in the SEC, down year relative to what we just saw, which was incredible quarterback play. I mean, you think of what you had last year in the SEC under center, in addition to you know, potentially like three first-round draft picks, uh, you're also going to have a number of guys that uh, were really, really good college football players, some of which are coming back. In fact, I, I wanted to just dive into this real quickly, JC, and it happens to be your uh, – your affiliation, 24-7 Sports. Uh, this is from Brad Crawford. I'm guessing you know him uh, certainly better oh, yeah. than I do. So he he came up with after. Now, again, LSU is the one SEC team that hasn't played uh, their spring game yet. But he gives his SEC quarterback grades rank uh, after spring practice and uh, ahead of the 2023 season. So here's what he has. I'll go through it real quickly. Dead last, Graham Mertz, Florida. Mm. Spring grade, a C. Didn't exactly light it up uh, in the spring. Uh, at at best, he can make things happen with his arm. 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions last year. At worst, decision-making can be an issue. 10 touchdowns, 11 picks in 2021. Yeah, I don't know what to expect with Florida's offense uh, this year. And, uh, again, as I've said before on this podcast, this is not like a four-year rebuild for Billy Napier. I guarantee you Gator Nation is going to want to see a hell of a lot better than what they saw last year uh, in order to feel good about things. So no matter who it is, and it looks like it's going to be Graham Mertz, they're going to want to see better than what they saw. Because Anthony Richardson is going to be a first-round draft pick, but didn't play like it on the field. The Florida offense was not exactly uh, electric last year, so that'll be interesting. Robbie Ashford of Auburn, 13. Brady Cook of Missouri. I liked Brady at times um, last year. He just missed the whole spring with an injury. They got Brady Cook 12. Jackson Dart of Ole Miss. Now, that's going to be – we don't even know if Dart's definitely going to be the guy, right? I mean, you still got Spencer Sanders, but uh, he's got Dart with a grade of a B, number 11. Connor Wigman, Texas A&M, uh, at number 10 with a grade of a B. 
And then you've got, don't forget, Max Johnson is there as well. A.J. Swan of Vanderbilt, number nine. Eight, Devin Leary of Kentucky. Uh, hopefully they have a better offensive line than they did last year. Jalen Milrow of Alabama, number seven. This is kind of what you were talking about, uh, the, the battle between Milrow and Ty Simpson. Um, he ain't Bryce Young, not now. I mean, I, I, I that's going to be very interesting to see what the quarterback play looks like in Tuscaloosa this year. Will Rogers, six at Mississippi State. It feels like he's been there for 12 years. Spencer Rattler, five, South Carolina. Joe Milton, four, Tennessee. Carson Beck, three. Jaden Daniels, two, and number one, K.J. Jefferson of Arkansas is who he has at number one. Any thoughts? I'm curious to see, you know, Danny Nose is now the, the O.C. at Arkansas. Uh, and, and I know some Hog fans were not happy with Kendall Browse, and, and, and they tried to keep him, and then he ultimately left anyway. Uh I, I thought his system was really good uh, for KJ because it's an adaptable system that, you know, if you've got a more of a runner at quarterback, you can do that. If you get more of a passer, you can do that. Um, I never thought the system was their problem. I thought there was just such a drop off after KJ Jefferson uh, at that spot that their offense struggled because teams, they kind of became one dimensional. Um you know, Dan Enos is a little bit different monster. He was there under Brett Bielema. It's more of a ground and pound. Uh, he is a guy that uh, has has a lot of RPO, run pass option experience uh, up at Maryland. Uh, my understanding is the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, which got the Super Bowl this year using the RPO, uh, had come and, and, and met with him you know, as far as, Hey, what are you doing with this? And and they kind of modified it. So he's got a great reputation. Um, how, how is KJ going to perform though? Cause oftentimes you have a guy that's really talented and then there's a, it's a new system that is a departure. You know, how are you going to do S- same thing with the kid from Mississippi state? You know, they're, they're now app state's offense, which is more, you know, outside zone run game kind of based stuff. Uh, it's not the air raid. Um, so, so that's my, those are my questions there. Mertz being last. Yeah. I, you know, it's a shame. Uh, I think Mertz has always had some talent. I, I would not be surprised if he's a little better than people give him credit for, or if, you know, somebody transfers from somewhere and uh, becomes the starter in Gainesville next year that we, we don't know about yet, but you know, they keep losing offensive linemen to the portal. Uh, it, it's kind of one of those things you look at Florida's too deep or they're projected too big deep and they have good, they have two good players in Henderson and Pearsall at, at receiver. Um, they, they go, they have two really good tailbacks in Montreal Johnson and Trevor ETN. Uh, but outside of that, you know, you, you kind of wonder, you kind of wonder. And then defensively, they, they sort of got gutted last year. So you, you sort of just always kind of wonder uh, about Florida uh, and all that, I, you know, is it fair to have Brady cook 12th? Uh, I don't know. I, I think I would probably have him ahead of Milrow. And yeah. that's just because I haven't seen Milrow do anything, but run around the end and right. you know, for a long, <laughs> a long way against Arkansas, you right. know, I, I haven't seen him uh, make things happen in the past game, but yeah, uh, cook flashed at times last year for Mizzou. Yeah, he was, and he's, he's a steady player. He is, he really is. And he can, He's not a statue in the pocket either. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I uh, I think this Joe Milton thing's uh, uh, one of those fascinating things, Mike, because, gosh, 
what was he class of 2018, 2017? I mean, it's, yeah. this dude's, it's going on a decade since he well, was Hooker's 25. Yeah. I mean, he was, cause he came out, uh, he came out of the Orlando area. Um, I think Heupel had just gotten to UCF or, or maybe got there later. So they liked him. I loved him as a recruit. I thought, man, this guy's going to, he ended up going to Michigan. He had 45 offers. Things didn't work out there. And then remember he was the starter over hooker. Right. Heupel's first year. Couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Nope. throwing the ball. Uh, they were struggling. So they go with hooker. Who's the better passer. And then he lights it up. Well, then lo and behold, here comes Milton after Hooker gets hurt last year. It looks like an All-American against Vanderbilt yeah. and Clemson. I mean, they, you know, that Vandy game, you know, they were coming off that loss to South Carolina. Vandy had just beaten Florida. I mean, that Vandy right. was kind of, they were talking up, Tennessee beat him 56 to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the bowl game. So that's fascinating with me too. I mean, Brad may be right. He may be wrong. I mean, is Milton going to continue to, to build off those last two hours, are we going to see the same Joe Milton that we've seen for the majority of the decade he's been in college? So mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting stuff. I, I think the league, uh, there are a lot of teams. The guy with the upside to me is the kid from Texas A&M, I, I think. Like, if you want to see somebody that's probably on the bottom end of that list now that could be significantly higher, it's it's a, what is it, Connor Weidman or whatever mm-hmm. from, from Texas A&M. Right. All the tools – you know, you'd hope between Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher, they could fix that offense, right? Uh, all the tools in the world certainly have a, a talented supporting cast as well. So if I had a riser, it would probably be that guy. Yeah, and he was he was in a spring battle with uh, with Max Johnson, former LSU Tiger, but it, it looks like uh, they're going to go with Connor, at least for now. And like you said, if, if they don't get it going offensively this year, holy smokes, we've got, Paul Feinbaum's going to have a field day with uh, mm. with covering Texas A and M and calls from the Lone Star State if if that happens to uh, uh, to work out that way. Yeah, I think it's going to be there, there's a lot more question marks this year, I think, than than what we had last year, which in some ways makes it more intriguing from a storyline standpoint. It also is going to provide a lot more angst for a number of fan bases that I think are going to see, quite frankly, a drop off in the productivity at that position. And as we all know, that position is ridiculously important uh, if you're going to have any success in college football um, now. So more than ever, Uh, let's go to one of your other topics here. Stupid rule changes with officials. Mm-hmm. Oh, official visits. Yeah. With official, I'm sorry. It, yeah. yeah I, you I, just I had official, yeah. official and, visits. And by the way, uh, Barrett Salee just reported uh, that uh, no consecutive timeouts. Um, they're, they're trying to speed up the game. I guess we'll get into that more next episode. I don't agree with that. I think, uh, I don't know that the games are overly too long. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, some of these are great. Some of them are not. But no. So the NCAA, we, we we talked to death about NIL and the portal and all that. So the other day, they just randomly come out with a rule. Oh, oh by the way, you could take unlimited official visits now. And it, I'm convinced they just don't know much about recruiting up there in Indianapolis. On average, Mike, your average highly recruiting guy takes three official visits tops. Most of them take two. A good many of them commit and just take one. Now, now they take a bunch of unofficial visits, which are unlimited, right? Um, so I don't even know where the the the. Uh, I mean, it's almost like they're trying to solve problems that aren't problems. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, what's next? You know, I mean, you know, great. Uh, that's that affects nobody. So uh, I thought that was just uh, one of those out of left field things that the NCAA just does just to do something. I, I, I haven't heard a single coach ever go, man, I wish, I wish kids had more than five officials. Cause you know, boy, we could, we could use, we could, we could have gotten that guy that's on his eighth official visit. Right. Chances are if a kid takes eight official visits, you don't want him anyway, you know, right. cause he's, he's in love with recruiting and not with football. So well, and a lot of those kids, as we know, take it like they'll, they'll narrow it down to two or three and the rest are just like vacations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's like, and, and that's that. And those guys usually don't pan out. Unfortunately, right. the, the, the wine the, and the vacationers. Route. Yeah. The vacationers. So, uh, Continued Pac-12 TV saga. We we still are not. I, again, I just think of Kwiatkowski was like again, you know, playing the playing the violin with the band on the Titanic. Like, all right, what what number do we want here? Um, this is a real concern, and we've talked about this before. If you just go for the buck, if you are just about, we're gonna make extra millions doing this and we're going to be nothing but streaming services you really are i think you're cutting your own throat i i just i i get it money talks but money long term if you're in a conference that programs are dying to jump out of guess what that money's going to dry up quickly so i it's funny. It's not funny. Not ha ha funny. What do you think? I amuse you like a clown. It's one of the Joe Pesci there. I make you laugh. I make you laugh. No, you say he said it. Come on, Spider. Um, speaking of a, of a remote dropper, that's a yes. that's a dimer. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I I just I I don't. We're, we've been talking about this for months, and I thought for sure by now there'd be some resolution. But you have all these things going on at once, where it's pretty hard to get everybody on the same page when you clearly have schools and they're going to deny it, but you clearly have schools that are playing footsies under the table with other conferences. So what you, what you're bidding on, if you're a uh, TV network or a streaming service is not exactly what you're going to have. Cause I don't think you're going to see another ACC type deal where it makes it almost impossible to leave and jump ship for another league. I don't think that's happening again. So whatever this deal is, Let's just say Colorado, for example, which has been one of the biggest targets to jump ship and go to the Big 12, for example. They're not going to sign something that keeps them locked into a deal that they might not like a year from now or five years from now. They're going to have the ability to say, you know what? This is not working. We're gone. See ya. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I'm all, I, I think if they're smart, they'll do that, especially when you're talking about uh, – I guess big 12 pack 12 ACC schools, uh, you know, and, and the big 10 and the SEC, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't see just from a business standpoint that those two are going to lock anybody into like a, a gigantic, you know, you jaws of life type contract uh, anytime mm-hmm. soon. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Yeah, it, it really is. No question about that. Uh, wrapping things up, anything else that has uh, struck your fancy here in the last couple of weeks going on? Again, we'll wrap up spring football. I don't think anybody has one past April 22nd. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But uh, we'll we'll get a chance to kind of see, uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, the LSU, and there's uh, they're the one SEC school going. There might be a Big 12 team going. But then after that, I think we're – 
we're done. The the, the dead days of the off season yeah. uh, will be here. Ten days of portal uh, opening, and then it closes, and it's on to recruiting this summer. And uh, June's a pretty big month for recruiting, and then uh, kind of right on into SEC media days and all the other media days in July. And before you know it, the twenty twenty four or twenty twenty three, excuse me, season will be here. So yeah, crazy. will be twenty twenty four. Will be the the most significant change season. Since I don't know, they they went from leather helmets to what we have now. I mean, it's going to be as we've talked about: twelve team playoff. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma will be in the SEC. Southern Cal and UCLA will be in the Big Ten. Um, there'll be some some rule changes. There'll be the CBS game of the week, and the SEC will now be in the hands of ABC and ESPN. I mean, there's just a ton of things mm-hmm. that are going to be different in 2024. So. If you're one of those people that just hates change, then savor the flavor of 2023 because it's about to get radically different a year after this coming season. That is for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. All right, JC, again, our thanks to uh, Chris Budden for joining us at ESPN. We'll be back with you next week. We're, we'll, no more, no more uh, lengthy hiatus. We'll continue our guest parade and continue – breaking down spring football and everything else. Again, our thanks to Blue Delta Jeans, BlueDeltaJeans.com, the very best in custom jeans. Had uh, two more listeners just reach out to me and actually show pictures of the jeans that they had ordered off of Blue Delta Jeans. Uh, and they're like, Mike, it is the real deal. It is the real article. They had not, they weren't that familiar with Blue Delta. They heard us talking about it here on this podcast, placed their orders, and uh, – it's always followed up by smiles and testimonials, unsolicited testimonials yep. when they get their blue Delta jeans in the mail. I love mine. Uh, it's got uh, it got a tag with your name on it. With, well, with my name on it. Not, yep. not, my, jean, my jeans don't have a tag that say Mike Morgan. Uh, mine have the initials. Have a, I got my just. I put yeah. that in case I lose them. I, I want to yeah. be able to claim them. Hey, no, no, exactly. I am MSM. Those are mine. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's uh, it's great, man. Uh, I, I love mine, and uh, I'm shaped like a, a potato with legs, and so I don't know how they got the shape <laughs> right, but they did, and they fit better than anything else. So it's awesome. There you go. I tell you what else fits better than any anything else is our website now, jcmorgan.com. Yep continues to uh to blossom we're we're getting more and more in there you guys can check it out you can go back and listen to any old uh, podcasts and we'll continue to uh add some more content on there as well we've got uh, a young man doing great work on the website mm-hmm. jc and morgan.com jc always enjoyed it uh we'll talk to you next week you'll be in chicago i will be back in atlanta after baton rouge tell you about how that went as well so for everybody out there thanks again for tuning in for jc sherbert mike morgan saying so long thanks for tuning in to jc and morgan